Hey guys, welcome back to the Strides with Great Wolf podcast with your host, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hope not too sick of me yet. Now, this podcast was developed to allow athletes to share their journey to Tokyo and beyond. And of course, have a couple good laughs along the way. My guest on episode 6 is a must listen. My friend, the one and only Marissa Paps. Yes, I know what you're thinking, and it's correct. I can't say Marissa's last name without stuttering. So give me a break. Marissa's a Renaissance woman, she's a Paralympian, Nike sponsored athlete, sports media student, Paralympic sport advocate, and much more. Oh, and she holds a couple of Canadian records as well. How could I forget that? We dive into mental health, sports performance, her journey thus far, and we even have a couple good laughs. Without further ado, my conversation with the Nike influencer, Marissa Paps. Paps, thank you for coming on coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. How have you been doing uh, with with all this COVID? I don't want to spend too much time on it, but uh, how's everything been going in uh, Toronto? Yeah, I mean, uh, lately it's been going pretty well because like we've actually had some restrictions lifted. So I've been able to train with my team uh, the past couple weeks, which has been really nice, and my coach. Um, and yeah, it's been actually like training's been going really well. Uh, we kind of like jumped it right into things as soon as we were able to get back together as a team. So uh, actually been running pretty decently fast. Like sur- I think we're all surprising ourselves right now because um, all the training we did during lockdown has actually paid off in a lot of different ways. So um, just like using it as a positive and uh, really looking forward to having a little bit of break in the next couple of weeks and then to just start fall training and hopefully getting ready for 2021. Yes, absolutely. You know, I think it's hard as us athletes, we always have something to kind of look towards and, you know, we haven't had too much to look towards. So what have you been focusing on for training during this time? Yeah, I mean, um, so starting in the beginning of 2020, uh, my New Year's resolution was to kind of just like really stay in the moment and take everything day by day. Because in the past, I've like gotten really far ahead of myself and mentally it was just really exhausting and really draining. And so um, my my goal and kind of my tactic has been just like taking everything day by day and taking every um, every practice uh, again day by day to just really better myself during this time and um, to also motivate myself to make those gains now because I like even though quarantine obviously has not been ideal in a lot of ways it has allowed me to have a, another year of training so. Um, just to really capitalize on this now and to better better myself on and off the track has been the ultimate goal. And um, I think I've I think I've handled it pretty well. I mean, there there has been times where it's hard to motivate yourself, especially in those like those months that were r- quite locked down, and I was pretty much just um, able to train in my house. So that was sometimes sometimes was difficult, but you know, it's all about taking it day by day and keep pushing forward. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Having personal growth on and off the track is so important. I think it's vital to evolving as people and uh, as athletes. Um, Now I'd like to transition to your background and how the journey has been and how it's gotten to you to where you are today. Yeah. Uh, So I was born missing my right foot. So I've actually haven't known any different throughout my whole entire life. Um, I've only been an amputee. And so uh, growing up, my parents really didn't give me much options and really wanted me to get involved in sport and to try everything that 
um, everything I wanted from basketball, tennis, skiing, gymnastics, soccer. Uh, but track was always something that I was pretty infatuated by, just doing it in elementary school. And I always loved, I always loved running and doing, um, and doing the long jump. And it was always so fun for me. And I really wanted to get a running blade. And so when I was 12 years old, that's when I was able to actually get a running blade and where uh, my dad knew this local track coach, Bill Stevens, and had me uh, joined a club called Phoenix Athletics. And uh, that's kind of how I got started in the sport. And, you know, at the time uh, when I had first started, I didn't really know, you know, much about the Paralympics or Parasport. And I slowly started to get exposed to it. And my eyes were starting to, um, yeah, to get to get exposed to the sport and the environment because, you know, growing up, I wasn't really exposed to many other kids with disabilities. I was always competing with able-bodied athletes. And so uh, just being exposed to this whole different world, um, there was just so many new opportunities for me that I didn't even think were possible before. And uh, about a year into uh, running, I actually broke the women's, the Canadian record for the women's 100 meter amongst uh, women in my classification. And so that's where I kind of realized I uh, had the opportunity to do some pretty cool things. And, you know, I could take the sport further than I what I had originally anticipated. And that's where I had made my goals to compete in Rio um, for the Olympics in 2016. And yeah, my journey has just kind of been taken off from there. Yeah, so let's go to the 2016. Um, I know that you didn't you didn't make the final. Um, but I'm sure that was a great experience. And I'm sure at, at that time, you're just looking to gain gain some experience and see what you can do on the world stage. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty young. I was only 16 at the time. And um, my Paralympic debut race, actually, I got disqualified in the 200 semi after actually qualifying for the finals. So it was pretty heartbreaking because I really wanted to make the finals. But like you said, it was like really amazing experience and exposed me to that level of competition at a young age where, you know, I was going just to have that experience under my belt. But now in the next few years is really the opportunity to capitalize on the amount of work I've done in the last few years. So, um, so yeah, it, overall, it was a great learning experience. And, um, and again, just added all these tools to my toolbox to hopefully enable myself to be at the best level of competition when I can hopefully peak in the future. Absolutely. I mean, experience in my eyes is one of the most important things within our sport. So now let's transition to 2017 season. Once again, you make the world championships in the one and the two. Can you walk us through how that went and uh, what you took from that experience? Yeah, um, that was honestly a very, very interesting year for me because I was graduating high school. I was trying to get into university. Um, there were just like all these other little factors that were kind of happening in my life where track wasn't like the main priority. Um, but, you know, I was still training hard and like competitions were still going well, really well, did really well at nationals. And uh, and uh, yeah, so I did. I actually had the 100 meter um, in London first and I came sixth in the final, which was the best I'd placed in the 100 thus far. So that um that was a huge accomplishment but really I was like really focusing on that 200 meter um because of especially because of Rio the year prior where I got disqualified I really wanted to redeem myself and I knew that meddling was so attainable so uh going into that 200 I was completely losing sleep I uh lost my appetite I was just extremely nervous and it got to the point where I stopped having fun 
I wanted to take a couple seconds to let that sink in. The ability to focus on the moment, not the end result, is so important because it's the collective actions that lead to the end result you want. Now, let's get back to our conversation with Marissa. And, you know, I ran the 200 semi. It was a terrible race because of the mindset that I had going into it. And um, I basically just done enough to qualify for the final. And that night, I actually had to completely rethink my process. And I had to completely reshift my, my gears because I, I ultimately wasn't having fun. And I, I thought back to myself and I reminded myself of my why. And my why was and is, is that because I love the sport and I really enjoy doing it. And so I promised myself that going into the final the next day, I would just enjoy myself and have fun and whatever happens, happens. And so, you know, going into warm up, I was feeling great. I was feeling fast. Um, and I was feeling honestly pretty confident. I kind of shook off the day before and the, the lack of sleep I was having the days prior. But um, uh, it was a cold day. It was about 15 degrees. It was raining. And, you know, having that, that anxiety leading into a competition, even though I, I, I did shift gears, uh, takes a toll on your body. And so we were standing out in front of our blocks for about 15 minutes before the race. And um, as a runner, you would know that that's not ideal circumstances. And I actually started that race faster than I ever had before. Um, but coming around the bend just about to finish, I was actually in bronze medal position when uh, my hamstring just completely tore and I fell uh, to the ground. So very um, heartbreaking experience. But in that moment, I uh, quickly, as quick as I could, even though I was in a lot of pain, got up and uh, hopped to the finish line, even though I was in a lot of pain. And the reaction that I didn't expect to get out of that was that uh, an entire stadium, about 30,000 people uh, cheered and clapped for me. And um, in that moment, you know, I, I didn't realize really what I was doing. I just really wanted to get to the finish line, get out of there as fast as I could to get to get assessed because I knew I had really done my hamstring wrong. And uh, and then what I, I realized after that was that I showed people that no matter what obstacles, no matter how hard you fall down, it's about how you get up and how you keep persevering to finish. So um it, it taught it taught me a lot about myself and, you know, that I am a lot stronger than I think I am. And, uh, you know, even coming back from that injury as well. So it, it was a bittersweet experience. But um, again, I wouldn't change anything in the past because it, ha- it has shaped me into the athlete I've become today. And this, um, I guess, n- more knowledgeable about myself and about the sport as well. So, yeah. So well said, and then it's crazy and I guess ironic to think that you and I met several months later at the athletics development camp in Guelph uh, as you were our guest speaker. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy how everything comes full circle, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, sometimes it's just crazy the way things work. Um, now let's tra- transition into the 2019 season. Midway through, you unfortunately had the injury bug, but you're still able to make the world championship team. And you were ready to go by the time World Championships rolled around. How was the lead up for you? Yeah, I mean, again, another crazy year for me. Um, there, it, it's all these all these experiences that I have had. Again, like it has shaped the athlete I am becoming. But needless to say, they're not easy. Um, going into that summer season, I had opened up my 
I'd opened up my 100 at a meet in Windsor and I had a pretty good PB. I uh, previously, a couple years ago, was running roughly 13, uh, 13 four in the 100. And for my season opener, I pulled out a 13 three. And so our, automatically I was feeling pretty good, feeling pretty confident. Then I head to Switzerland the next week and I pull out a 13 one. So I was feeling extremely confident about the season. I was um, really looking up, like I, I, things were really starting to come together for me and I was really coming into my own. And uh, I come back from Switzerland and, you know, you get, you get a little sick when you fly and I was kind of under the weather and, you know, we were having a home meet the week prior and, uh, and uh, I was like, you know what, I'm not feeling that great, but I'm still going to run anyways because it's not going to hurt me. Um, And unfortunately I did a race. I ran 13 flat with a really crazy tailwind. And, um, and at the end of the race, I kind of felt something in, uh, in my knee. It didn't feel, didn't feel right. And so, uh, so we were assessing it as a knee injury. We thought I did, might've tweaked my knee a little bit. So for about three weeks, I was treating that as a knee injury, but things were not getting any better. Um, and so we finally got an ultrasound and I realized I actually had a minor tear in the bicep femoris tendon that goes into the knee. So that's why I was kind of misdiagnosed for a long period of time. And, uh, and yeah, so I think, I think in that moment, based on how I was feeling going into the season and how confident I was feeling and the big goals I had set for myself at Worlds, I think hearing the fact that I had that injury um, defeated me right from the beginning, as opposed to just looking at it as an obstacle that I would just have to get past and then continue training on. But, you know, things really extended themselves. It trickled into nationals where I wasn't compete. It trickled into Pan Am games where I wasn't able to compete. And meanwhile, this big year I thought I was going to have ended up becoming almost nothing. And uh, the end goal was to compete and to be healthy, to compete at Worlds. But I really only started running well again a month prior to. And so, um, so you know, right before we left for Worlds, I actually was feeling pretty good. Um, you know, things were coming together again. I was feeling strong. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, when you fly and when it's a 16-hour flight, uh, my body changed and things were, my in, my previous injury was flaring up again, even though it was primarily healed. And uh, I got there and unfortunately I had to pull out of the 200, but I at least had the 100 and the relay to focus on. But the, uh, there was a, like, there was a lot of pain that I was experiencing in both of my knees and, you know, it, led me to not qualifying for the 100 meter final and that was the first time I actually didn't qualify for a final in a while and so um it was it was really hard to handle mentally because coming into it I was actually feeling like I was on a high and I was rid of my injuries and things were going well again but then you know things took a turn when I didn't think they would I thought it would only go up from there so needless to say it was quite a roller coaster of a season. It was pretty much just up and down, up and down the whole entire time. But um, that's where I really learned about what I kind of mentioned earlier. And that was just like living in the moment, taking everything day by day. And so that's where I started in January of 2020, when I told myself that I was going to approach this year in a completely different mindset. 
where I would take everything day by day and what I like to call riding the wave. And riding the wave to me just means that I am staying in my moment and I'm enjoying the process. And you know, things are going to happen. You're going to fall along the way, but it's just, it's just part of that process. And it's how um, I'm able to deal with it and how uh, I'm able to overcome that obstacle, but it doesn't take away from what my end goal is. So uh, that's where I was actually really looking forward to coming into 2020 because, um, because not only physically was I feeling a lot better and my injuries were feeling a lot better, but mentally I was just feeling on a completely different wave where I was feeling confident in myself again, but then also um, equipped to tackle any sort of obstacles that I might have to potentially overcome within the season. Yeah, absolutely. And I would love to pull on that uh, mental side thread just a little bit. Um, you know, with your new mindset leading to 2020, uh, have you started any new uh, processes or habits with the mental side, med- uh, meditation or any form of uh, m- mindfulness? Yeah, so um, so go- I guess, like, again, starting in 2020, I really started working more with a sports psych at the University of Toronto um, and with the one at, at Athletics Canada. And uh, that was something I was utilizing more so just to kind of you know, uh, check in with somebody on a regular basis and kind of like figuring out ways to um, balance my my life. And I think that's been a, a struggle for me in the last few years is that I'm not just a track athlete. I'm also a student. I'm also a spokesperson. I'm also an advocate. And there's all these different parts that were pulling me in a lot of different directions. And actually, it was it, it was a really weird shift because in 2020, I said I was going to take school off. And I was going to really focus on track and give myself the best opportunity possible to do the best I can at Tokyo. And uh, and I would go through these these moments where I wouldn't be as busy because I really only had training to focus on. And in that, in a sense, also created a different type of anxiety because I felt like I wasn't doing enough. And it's this constant battle and this constant like balance of all these different aspects that I needed to deal with. And, you know, so that's where I kind of started to do um, uh, what like more mindfulness in terms of uh, acknowledging those different aspects of my life. And uh, you like so uh, back at Worlds, Greg gave me something uh, that was really, really valuable and something I use a lot now. And it's basically um, saying what you're thankful for, but then also acknowledging things as well. And I think that has allowed myself to have a really good balance of all those things that I used to struggle with before. Um, And it kind of brings you in and brings you into the moment. And that's kind of how it all ties into my news resolution of bringing myself back into the moment. Um, So that's been something that's also really helped me. The second thing that's also really helped me is that something I actually learned in quarantine and it's that I actually really enjoy to color. So I got this adult coloring book and it really allowed me to like focus on like one simple task for a period of time. And it completely took me away from like all the other stress and pressures that I typically would feel in a day, um, even just for like 30 minutes to an hour. So those are a couple of things that I've actually been doing that, um, that have helped me tremendously. Yeah, wow. That's awesome. It's kind of funny. Greg and I just had that conversation about five days ago when I went and spent a couple of days with them. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's like an amazing thing. And it, I, don't, I don't think that like, it's 
subsequent to just like track athletes I think it's just a general overall very good piece of like well-being that people really should take on because um you know it there there there's so many times where I'm like I I struggle with something but I'm like oh my god that's such a first world problem I just wanted to take a moment to share how appreciative I am to Marissa for opening up about mental health she gave us some tactical ways she approaches it this topic affects everyone in some way. Some are impacted more than others. I'm so happy that the dialogue on this matter has opened up in the past couple of years. Remember, it's okay not to be okay, but please ask for help. Now, back to the conversation with Marissa. However, you know, you can, by mentioning something that you're thankful for, but then also acknowledging the fact that it it does maybe make you struggle is uh I think it's an important balance to have so for example like I am very thankful that I have the ability to have a higher education but then I also acknowledge the fact that it exhausts me and it makes me anxious sometimes and it's really hard to balance those certain things in my life so that's where I think it's like a very overall good well-being aspect that people can add into their day-to-day lives yeah that's a that's a great way to put it I think it puts so much perspective, at least for me, um, into kind of what you're thinking and what you're processing, because we all process so many different things. We have different stressors in our life. And so it's, it's interesting to hear what yours are. Now I'd like to kind of make a um, 180 degree turn here and talk about the Paralympic movement. As we talked about, you're an advocate uh, for the Paralympic movement, and I think you've done a great job. And I would really like to hear things that you've seen kind of evolve and improve within the Paralympic movement, as well as maybe a thing you'd like to see change or just continue to grow? Yeah, I definitely think that from when I started back in 2012 till now, there has been a massive increase in acknowledgement and notoriety behind the Paralympic movement. Um, You know, just in terms of, you know, seeing more athletes, um, with disabilities in those role model positions. Um, As a young girl, I was really lucky to have Stephanie Reed, who's a Paralympic British uh, long jumper. She previously was Canadian, also married to Brent Lactose. Um, I was really lucky to have her as my role model because she kind of created this image and this vision of where I wanted to eventually be one day. But, you know, so many people don't have that. And other than Stephanie, I didn't have anyone else to really look up to. So I think that in terms of just having those role models, and that's where I uh, take my position in the sport as more than just competing in the sport, but also setting that example and showing that, um, you know, if I can do it, you can do it too type attitude. So I think that from that standpoint, it's allowed so many more people to get involved and to get active in in the Paralympic movement. And that starts, uh, so in, um, in sports media, which is my program, we talk about getting people involved at the grassroots level and that's how you grow a sport and that's how you grow, um, grow the business of it as well. And so when you have all these young kids that are actually, uh, getting involved and have the support and the ability to do so, and, um, those environments are created where those kids can thrive. That's where we're seeing a lot more of the, Paralympic movement thriving because uh, of the just from the participation alone. Then you also have um, the fact that there are so many athletes now that have a big following and a big platform that can speak upon um, and really bring awareness to the sport. 
having had said that, I think there is a lot that more that we can do in terms of representation. Uh, a lot, a lot in today's society is, uh, unfortunately, representation is sometimes just uh, used as a token. And so, what I mean by that is, uh, for example, if you have an ad, and there's one person with a disability in that ad, but you know that that was used as a way to check a box off. And so it's trying to find this balance of representation and then also limiting the fact that someone is just trying to check off a box to meet, to meet a certain standard. So um, I think that that's where we're gonna see changes in the future is uh, definitely more representation when it's meaningful because I think that that is really important. Yeah, no, I think that's super important as well. And I also think education is super important. Can you give us um, how it, or at least a little insight into how it is to run with a uh, with a blade or a, or a cheetah? Because you know most most athletes don't understand uh, how it feels to run with the blade. Definitely, and and uh, the other thing I think that's important to know is that you know um, disability is not cookie cutter. It's very unique and specific to every different person and because they experience their life in a completely different way than I might experience it. So I think that's important to mention. But for me specifically, um, running with a cheetah, you know, I, I, uh, it's really hard to explain because on the one side, I've never experienced anything different in my life. But I just think back to when I was 12 years old and I went from running on a regular, uh, normal, everyday leg to going on a cheetah. And it was like a whole new world of opportunity open for me because um, I was able to move faster than I ever had before. And it's not because it gave me an unfair advantage. It's because it actually almost replicated what it would be like to have two feet. So um, I think that's the best way I can describe it. And uh, and it, like I said, again, everyone's experience will be different different with a cheetah. Um, but that's specifically just mine. Yeah, no, I think, I think you make some awesome points. I always say that disability isn't an inability. And I think that's super important for uh, the audience who aren't para-athletes to understand. Yeah, definitely. It's, and exactly like you said, it's not an inability. And, you know, uh, it's also just doing things in a different way than someone else might be able to do them in. Yeah, absolutely. And so I want to go off the track a little bit and talk about Nike. Um, how was it to sign a deal with Nike? Um, and was that something that you've always wanted wanted to do? Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, from when I was a little girl, I would see a lot of those like Nike campaigns and those Nike ads on TV. And I always thought to myself, like, I would love to do that one day, I would love to be able to be with the, like, be represented by that company. And um, when my agent kind of mentioned to me that they were interested, I was just, I was more shocked and in disbelief more than anything, because, um, because I I really didn't understand why at the time. I was like, wow, uh, kind of just opened my mind to uh, the idea that I guess I represent something that the company uh, aligns with very well. It's not at the end of the day, it's not about, you know, the medals or the accolades. It's about who you are as a person and what you can bring to the table. And so that's where um, it actually took a lot of the pressure because at the same time, too, I was putting a lot of pressure myself to medal because I thought I needed that to to obtain a type of sponsorship like that. And so uh, that's where I was doing the sport for the wrong reason sometimes was that I needed to do it in order to gain things out of it. And so now it's really brought me back into 
bettering myself as a person, bettering myself as an athlete, and to continue just uh, to to reach for the goals that I want to achieve in the sport. But it's also enabled me to have this platform where I'm able to reach out to much bigger audiences to share my message and to educate people about the Paralympic Paralympic movement and to also bring awareness to disability. And uh, as you said, dis, uh, disability is not inability. So that whole concept around uh, the fact that there are people out here doing like really incredible things as athletes and not just the fact that they have a disability. So it's just enabled me to have a bigger voice um, on a bigger platform. Yeah, you've been an unbelievable spokesman, you know, for the Paralympic movement within Canada and around the world. And I know you've gotten to do some pretty cool opportunities with Nike. Uh, can you share a couple, couple of those opportunities? Yeah, I mean, already so far, I've had the chance to fly to like Calgary um, to speak at different events and also to New York City where I had the ability to uh, be involved with New York Fashion Week where they launched the uh, Tokyo kits. And uh, yeah, it was just a crazy experience. And again, I'm just really, uh, I'm really fortunate to have those opportunities with the company and as well, be able to, again, you know, open the public's eye. I think that 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 fashion show was really powerful because it wasn't just, um, it wasn't just able-bodied athletes. There were all different types of para-athletes and, uh, and people of the LGBTQ community and um, everything like that. So I just think that it's been a really great opportunity to, uh, to be able to showcase to the public that um, their sport is just not one thing. It doesn't just look a certain way. And so that was just something I was really, really proud to be a part of. Yeah. Wow. That is outstanding. Uh, I bet that was so much fun. And now let's make a 360 and let's do some rapid fire questions. A lot of these are kind of funny. Um, the first one is Air Force Ones or Jordans? Oh my God, that's such a hard question. <laughs> um, I'm going to say Jordans. Yeah, yeah, that's. I think that's what I picked too. Uh, what's your favorite place you have visited? Um, I would say Brazil. Awesome. Uh, and I know you're a chef. And so I would, I was curious, what is one of your favorite meals that you've cooked recently? Oh, um, I would say my favorite would be pizza on the barbecue. It's actually amazing. And it tastes like straight out of Italy. Yeah, no, that's, uh, we've done that a couple of times too. Yeah, it's so good. Um, who is one of your most influential people in your life outside of your family? Yeah, I mentioned this before, but her name is Stephanie Reed. She, uh, prior to becoming a British athlete, she was a Canadian uh, T64 athlete. And uh, she just, you know, opened my eyes to para-sport, the Paralympic movement, and track and field as a whole. So she's definitely the most inspirational person to me. Awesome. And I know, you know, in college, uh, teammates sometimes do funny pranks on, on each other. And I was curious if uh, you had a funny prank that you, you could share with us. Oh, man, I go to U like I train at UFT. And I, I feel like we're all pretty, like, pretty easy with each other. <laughs> like, we don't, we don't really do anything like that. But um, Austin Smink at a training camp one time did steal my leg in the lobby and took it to another room with him. And so I was stuck without a leg. So that has happened to me before. Oh, awesome. Um, and so uh, this is just kind of a tongue-in-cheek one. Who is your favorite par uh, Paralympic teammate, Tom or I? 
Oh God, that's so, that's so. No, I can't answer that question. <laughs> we were uh, we are going for lunch tomorrow, so I figured I would uh, I would see if I can get one uh one up on them. No, I can't. I can't make that. Choice. <laughs> you guys uh, are both great. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite event? The hundred or the two hundred? Definitely the two hundred. Awesome. Uh, and I and I know you love Toronto sports. So, what is your favorite sport to watch outside of track and field? Uh, so I think it would be a tie between basketball and soccer. Uh, soccer because I played for such a long period of my life, and I love TFC. But also, my Toronto Raptors absolutely adore them. Awesome. Do you have a cherished uh, thing that Nike has sent you thus far? Is there one thing that you just were so excited to get? Oh, man. Um, I would definitely say the racing kit. That was something I was, like, really pumped to get because uh, I was really looking forward to racing this season. And even though I can't wear it right now, I will be able to wear it eventually. So that's definitely my most cherished thing so far. Awesome. Well, to wrap it up, I ask each guest two questions. First, where can people find you on uh, social media? Uh, yeah, so if you want to follow me, you can uh, go to Marissa underscore Paps, and that's M-A-R-I-S-S-A underscore P-A-P-S for Instagram. Awesome. And uh, lastly, uh, what do you want your impact to be? And this can be on the track, off the track, or all put together. Yeah, I mean, I want my impact to uh, really make a standing, long-lasting impact in the younger generations um, moving forward because, you know, I was talking about this earlier, but just the fact that there has been a lot more development at the grassroots level for kids to get involved in the in Paralympic sport. Um, I want to inspire and continue to to motivate more and more to get involved because uh, you know we want to we don't want to let this dissipate in the next 10, 15 years. We want to keep this uh, trend and this this going and moving um, forward. So that would definitely be my goal is to continue to inspire the younger generation to get involved and get active and. Uh, truly um, just do something you're passionate about. I think that throughout my life, I've always been told that if you don't love something, don't bother doing it. And so if you truly love something, I want to show people that there shouldn't be anything that should stop you from wanting to achieve your dreams. Wow. What an episode. That's why I love doing this podcast because each person has their own insights and ideas for the future. Mr. Provokes thought from within and makes me understand that everything negative is just an opportunity for you to rise. Let me tell you, Nike's lucky to have her. Make sure you follow Paps on the socials because she's always up to something. And I personally think she's going to be a podium threat in 2021. Thanks for putting that with me for 30 plus minutes, Paps.